This episode of the Android Central Podcast is brought to you by MintSim, the best way to get cheap 4G LTE data in the U.S. Use offer code ACFREESHIP for free first-class shipping on any MintSim purchase. And if you're interested, go download the new MintSim app. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Android Central Podcast for Friday, November 17th. 2017. We wish we could have done this on Thursday, November 16th, and we'll explain in a, in a minute. But I first want to introduce my uh, my, my guests, my my buds, my my fellow New York uh, roommates for the last few days. Andrew Martinick, how are you, dude? A little bit, a little tired coming back from uh, <laughs> one plus event last <laughs> night, but uh, and flying all the way across the country. But uh, I'm doing yeah, well. Yeah, a little jet lagged. A little bit, a little bit. And I'm really pleased to welcome, uh, for the first time to the podcast, Hayato Husman, our newest uh, addition to the AC crew and our associate video editor. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm also still tired, but uh, fixed a, uh, fix a cup of coffee beforehand, so I'm doing all right. Yeah, it's good to have you here. So we were all in New York for the OnePlus 5T event. We all had interesting stories about trying to get home through the various New York airports, but we made it and we really wanted to record yesterday after the event, but there was just no time. So uh, we want to get this up as soon as possible afterwards. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the OnePlus 5T, how it compares to the 5, to the 3 and 3T, and a few more devices that also got reviewed this week. Uh, Alex can't be here. He's ironically also on a plane flying somewhere. Um, but his Razer phone review went up this week, and we'll touch on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I wrote about the iPhone X, uh, which was uh, Wait, <laughs> very interesting. Which was very interestingly received on on uh, AC, uh, as I expected it would be. Uh, a lot... There, there, was, there was some... Let's just say there were some equitable comments. There were people who were a little bit kinder than I expected about the the presence of that phone on AC. But at the same time, there were others who didn't want it anywhere near them. Uh, we'll touch on that. And and then the Pixel Buds, these controversial, seemingly controversial. I don't know how a pair of... <laughs> I mean, as much... Yeah, but Like, they're not even... Uh, uh, I don't know. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was, I was like... I don't know how these could be controversial, but we'll get to it. Um, but let's start with the OnePlus 5T. Um, we knew this was coming. OnePlus was not shy about teasing this phone, literally posting photos of five cups of tea in the weeks before <laughs> the product was announced. Hmm. Um, then CEO Pete Lau came out with a blog post saying that the OnePlus 5T would maintain a headphone jack. I mean, these were, this is this was a very controlled environment for uh, for the few weeks beforehand. But now that we have it in hand, Andrew, what are your first impressions of this new phone? I think that uh, they made a pretty good point on stage when they were talking about this phone. I, I think it was Carl Pei was talking about. Um, you know, if you had some new technology and new software features available to you, you wouldn't wait a whole year to, you know, integrate them into one yearly software update. 
And they basically just take the same approach with hardware. So when they got to the point where they had the OnePlus 5 completely down and they, you know, they had no problem with any of the manufacturing, anything like that, they had a couple new things that they could do in the hardware. And so they said, okay, we're just going to release a new version of the OnePlus 5 that integrates these new hardware pieces. And I mean, some people may be frustrated by the fact that they do this like every six month type of thing. You know, they've done it twice now. Um, but I don't, I don't have a problem with it. Um, the, the thing is they do it the right way. The OnePlus 5 stopped going on sale, what, almost a month ago at this point, And they didn't say anything about it. And, you know, nobody's, so nobody's getting burned, you know, buying a OnePlus 5, you know, a week before Hopefully the 5T comes literally out. literally too. Well, <laughs> yeah, we don't want anybody getting hurt, okay, emotionally or physically. But they, they do it right. They get that just out of the pipeline. And then they push out this new version that, in my mind, you know, of course, it's not that exciting on its own. But it... It just it does everything the OnePlus Five does plus a little more, and it still only costs four hundred ninety nine dollars. So I don't see any issue with it. I mean, y- you can always argue with every single phone release from every manufacturer that they didn't do enough, and we'll talk about a couple places where I think we've come to agreement that they could have done more, and maybe they you know should have done that with a OnePlus Six or you know whatever is going to happen next year, but. You can't find a fault, really, in anything that they did because you didn't lose anything from the OnePlus 5. And I think that's the best the, the best way you can do one of these mid-cycle refreshes. Other than a telephoto lens. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> Hayato, you've actually, um, you know, you're living the dream right now. You're the one using the OnePlus 5 on the team. Um, <laughs> you, you know, more like it's it's very uncommon for anybody at AC or any Android site in general to stick with a phone for more than a couple of weeks at a time. Um, but you've been using this for what a few months now. Uh, I mean, I assume not as your like full time, but at least as your primary device. Um, how's it holding up? It's I mean, it's still a really good phone. I mean, it's Oxygen OS is still one of my favorite uh, implementations of Android. And the phone is still as fast as the day I got it. So I'm definitely still happy with it. The cameras could be a little better, but I like having a telephoto lens and uh, it's a good phone. So let's talk about that. The Other than the screen, which has now been elongated to six inches, 18 mm-hmm. by nine, two by one aspect ratio. The main change on the OnePlus 5T is the, uh, the camera setup. So instead of there being a telephoto lens, OnePlus has chosen to augment the primary lens with a 20 megapixel, uh, you know, RGB lens with a with the same focal length as the primary one with an f 1.7 aperture, uh, ostensibly to give it better low light. But the second sensor only kicks in under 10 lux, which is really dark, like almost pitch black. And you know, we had the chance to test this out in New York, and it's kind of tough to get that second lens to kick in. Um, why do you think this is or isn't a good idea, Hayato? Uh, I mean, we, we talked about it beforehand. I still think it's a little weird that the second lens actually has, uh, it, it, it didn't opt for larger pixels, uh, it just went for more pixels. So I don't know how much uh, sense that really makes for better low light. And especially in our testing, it didn't seem to do all that much. Um, 
so I definitely would have preferred to have stuck with a telephoto lens, but you know, I mean, it's entirely possible that they could update it with software and suddenly it's, you know, the, the an incredible low light camera. So who, you know, who knows? I don't it think it's be. entirely possible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, think it's entirely possible, but I, I do get your point that the telephoto was something that was actually unique about it. We kind of have this thing where you either go with a telephoto second uh, lens or you go with a super wide angle second lens like like LG yeah. has done. My issue was that on the OnePlus 5, the telephoto lens, I I always appreciate that difference in focal length. I like the different types of shots that it lets you take. But the second lens was just not that good. And with an f2.6 aperture, it it wasn't usable in anything but broad daylight. And right. so in the in the main camera, because you know, they, they made a big deal about it enabling portrait mode, which of course we know that you don't necessarily need two lenses and you don't need the second lens to be uh telephoto to do that. I mean, you could take better like macro shots with more um, softening and bokeh around the edges with the main camera because it had an F17 aperture. So I, I appreciated the telephoto lens, you know, in general, but I think that the implementation was not that great. So I guess that's why I'm not too, too married to it on the OnePlus 5. Sure. Yeah. I. So with the Note 8 coming out with the telephoto lens on the secondary camera, um, you know, it, it sort of divides a lot of the OEMs into a few, you know, categories. There's Huawei, who's doubling down on the monochrome, on the secondary monochrome sensor. Same with, uh, well, Motorola does both. They do uh, monochrome on the the uh, Moto Z2 Force and wide angle on the Moto X4. Mm-hmm. There's LG that's all in on wide angle with the G6, well, G5, G6, V30. Um, it is interesting that OnePlus is sort of backtracking a little bit here. Uh, clearly, the telephoto lens, while useful, wasn't a, a an enormously popular choice. And what I find really interesting, too, is that the Oppo R11s, the, the phone that is kind of the, the hardware basis for this product, maintains the telephoto, secondary telephoto lens, whereas... Uh, this this phone doesn't uh, the OnePlus Five T. I, I like Hayato. What are, what's your experience like? How often do you actually use that that telephoto lens, and for what? Uh, I use it a lot, actually. Um, well, th- this was more of a practical reason than than a than an artistic reason. But just on on the uh, when I was parking at the airport on the way over to New York, I just wanted to zoom in and take a picture of my uh, of my where I was parked. Um, so that was a little easier than just getting a super grainy shot of, uh, you know, with, with, with zooming in digitally, but I like it a lot just for getting a little closer, um, without feeling like wh- whether I'm actually losing quality or not, because it's just not as good of a camera. I, it just makes me feel better than, uh, digitally zooming where I always feel like it's going to be a worse photo. Right. So it just lets me get a little closer without feeling too bad about the quality. The, the discussion that I've been hearing about, I mean, everybody talking about the 5T, people that were there or watching, uh, watching online was, they kind of said, well, this is cool. I, I like the idea of a second lens, uh, you know, second camera module, but 
you know, maybe OnePlus should have just gone back to one camera and made that camera good. Yeah, that that honestly probably would have been a pretty nice uh, change, I think. Especially now because, that uh, single lenses are doing better for portrait mode and all that stuff. Right. I mean, I think that just about every single person would give up portrait mode in order for the OnePlus 5 to have a camera that was better. Like just the, the main shot-to-shot performance out of the main camera. Especially when you look at something like this secondary camera not being utilized hardly at all. I mean, like Daniel was saying, we were taking photos in a, in a dark restaurant that was, you know, at night underground that had no windows. So it's like kind of the worst low light situation ever. And depending on which way you pointed it, you would get the main sensor, you know, a decent amount of the time, which is, is, you know, if you're going to rely on the main sensor that much, even in what we would typically consider low light situations, you kind of wonder why, that stayed the same instead of, you know, maybe reimagining it a little bit. But then again, this is also a 5T, not, you know, not a 6. So what what I have heard through the grapevine is that OnePlus is tweaking the secondary sensor um, for low light, and it'll continue to do so. But it's also... Um, you know, one thing that we haven't seen, at least on early samples, is the practice of pixel binning, which is using the higher megapixel sensor itself to create a lower megapixel photo by combining the data from the surrounding pixels together and using that to um, to achieve higher or better light sensitivity. So companies like Sony have been doing that for years where they would, they would actually put a 23 or 25 megapixel camera in their phone, but you'd get eight megapixel shots. And that's because they're taking all that data from, they're essentially making one pixel into four pixels and, or sorry, four pixels into one pixel. And they're using all that data together to make a more sensitive shot. Um, we're not seeing that so here. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that HTC has been doing this on its front-facing cameras for a while. Oh, I'm sure they have. And yeah. and uh, although <laughs> HTC is vacillated between super high megapixel front-facing cameras and ultra pixel cameras that are like four megapixels. Uh, yeah, they depending don't know on what the they year. want to do. <laughs> <laughs> they got to make up their mind. I guess this wasn't a great example of someone successfully using this system. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I just think that this is a missed opportunity. Like we're getting 20 megapixel shots when we do use the one plus five T secondary camera. So, and we know that the pixel size is smaller than the main camera. It's one, one micron compared to 1.12. So I don't understand how physically these photos are supposed to be better in low light. I mean, you can tune all you want, but if you're, not letting in more light and you're not pixel binning what else are you going to be able to do i i don't right. know i mean i mean if, i know if, it's if, yes go ahead sorry no I'm, I'm asking if you're listening out there and you know one if you know how one plus is going to do this um you know i prefer not to equivocate so let me know because maybe they have some magic in the bag that 
you know, some some magic sprinkles that'll that'll eventually kick in. But right now, I can say definitively, this is not the 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 low light photos coming from the OnePlus Five T secondary camera are not awesome. Yeah, no. I, so that's the point. We're still getting. I mean, we take a photo, and you're still getting twenty uh, the twenty megapixel resolution, and you're not really seeing a lot of what seems to be any advanced processing on it. It 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 looks exactly like you'd expect a twenty megapixel sensor, you know, one micron pixel sensor to take with you know just kind of normal processing. So it doesn't seem like there's anything special there yet. And I I know that it's not. As simple as, I mean, geez, we've seen from the from the last two generations of pixels that you can't simply look at the the hardware specs and just assume that that directly correlates to the output. But it sure does help, especially if you're OnePlus and you don't have the processing prowess of of Google software team, you know, to just help you out or you know make this specialized. I mean, we saw with the OnePlus 3 and 3T that kind of going with a standard setup was was good. You know, you just went with a, a, a solid sensor with a decent pixel size and OIS, and you just had an HDR mode. And for a, can, uh, you know, for a phone that was $399 or whatever that they were, which is $100 cheaper than this phone is, uh, that was that was more than acceptable. That's what all the other cameras in that range are doing. But then, but you look at something like the HTC U11, which you know we talk about HTC kind of falling on its face and trying different things. But in the U11, they just went completely standard. They said we're going to stop messing around with all this different pixel stuff. We're not going to do dual lenses. We're just going to have a 12 megapixel sensor with big pixels on it and OIS. And we're just going to let the physics of letting light into that more light into that lens and letting the sensor capture more light, take really, really, really good photos without, you know, having to do some crazy off the wall processing on it. It's also quite um, revealing that almost every manufacturer is settling on 12 to 13 megapixels as the main as as the primary size. I mean, we see Huawei, the primary sensor is, is 12 megapixels. We see Apple, Samsung, um, LG went 13 megapixels on the G6 and 16 on the V30. But as we now know, the V30 doesn't take as good photos indoors or in low light as the G6, even though I think Hayato may may disagree with me on there. Um <laughs> I, I just I just think that you know, OnePlus has an opportunity here to match its marketing with its like to match its results with its marketing. And what was so revealing yesterday, prior to the actual announcement, there were videos that the company created for the OnePlus Five launch, and most of them had to do with the camera about how you know. The company's users love the camera. There are you know, there's a great HDR mode. There's really customizable. There's a customizable manual mode, and um, you know, with things like long exposure, 
you can do a whole lot with this camera if you really sink your teeth into it, but the actual fundamentals just don't seem to be as good as what you'd get with an, a more expensive phone. I I don't know if it's if it's the right decision to just throw more pixels at the problem. It feels like they're a bit a bit hamstrung and trying a couple different things that <laughs> uh, what well, without that's the thing they're trying new things in the second sensor without changing the primary one, which kind of makes it sound like it's a bit more of a testing ground. Yeah, I mean w- when we were testing out the cameras uh, the other night, it was kind of weird to see the second, the, the second camera when it finally did switch over kind of turned completely uh, like completely pink versus the uh, primary camera. Yeah. That, I mean, that was a, like a really difficult lighting situation and the white balance was, was way off and the grain was insane. Um, you know, that shot was ISO 9,600 Ooh. So you can tell just how much the the sensor was struggling to maintain its subject in the light, and it had to boost up the you know it basically had to sacrifice grain or or um, it had to sacrifice light for grain, and OnePlus is really the only company that is willing to go up to ten thousand. ISO on a shot. Most others will just cut, you know, cut themselves off and go with a a dark shot that's not really usable. But I think that that makes a, a very interesting point of how how much different the two sensors on this phone seem to seem to react to different situations. I mean, when you are kind of on those fringes where you can have the two, because I should say you can't explicitly switch to the low light camera. It just happens when it you know detects that it's dark enough to need it and i this kind of reminds me of the lg v20 with its uh wide angle camera being a completely different sensor to the main one um you know not even close in resolution or type or lens or anything and it's weird to have one device have such a different characteristic out of each of its cameras so you could take a, a photo with either one and you wouldn't necessarily pin them both to being from one phone. And I think that, yes, you have extra capabilities and it's cool, but not having a consistency from shot to shot on the same phone is not great. You really want to be able to, the whole idea of doing the two separate sensors and lenses is that it extends the capabilities of the phone, but you're still accessing it through the same camera app and you want to take a good photo with either one, not have a completely different characteristic. You know, like when you have the Note 8, you switch to the telephoto lens, it doesn't take a dramatically different looking photo in terms of the quality. It just takes a long, you know, it just takes it with the longer lens. And... I think LG has gotten quite a bit better about that with its secondary sensors too. So this just, it just reinforces that feeling that I have that it's kind of tacked on. And I, I have no doubt that OnePlus will improve things over time. Uh, it's, this is clearly a company trying a bunch of different things. Um, and I, you know, on, on the one, on the one hand, like, yeah, this is not the greatest 
camera out there. But then you do have to qualify. This is a four hundred dollar, a five hundred dollar phone. Mm -hmm. It used to be a four hundred dollar phone. Um, it's a five hundred dollar phone, and it in every other way is the equivalent of a Galaxy S eight or a Pixel two. You know, this is and and what's so interesting about this is that OnePlus is saying like on stage yesterday, OnePlus said we didn't we could have gone sixteen by or eighteen by nine two by one at the beginning of the year with the OnePlus 5, or not the beginning, but the like earlier in the year. But they wanted to wait until they had a great panel. And I think that was the right move because this panel is great. It's fantastic. It's it's not QHD, it's but it's it's excellent. As an as AMOLED panels or as OLED panels go, this is a Samsung made uh, uh, two by one panel. It's it's got all the right characteristics and I think it's sharp enough. Hayato disagrees with me, but no, I, that would have... I love the display actually. Okay, good. So <laughs> then we're all in agreement. <laughs> I, I, it's this I, thing. I that wanted one, you to come back and be like, "No, you're wrong." It's this thing that OnePlus has been showing us for the last three phones because they've all had the same screen. But this is a fine pixel density. You're not looking at this and saying, "Oh my gosh, I wish it." Yeah, I wish, you know, the only thing I don't like about this is the resolution is only 1080p. It, it just doesn't happen. This is, especially with this larger display, you're not holding it as close to your uh, to your eyes. And I have not noticed the resolution whatsoever. And I mean, I think if you compare it to you take your Galaxy S8 Plus or Note 8 out of the box, it's set to 1080p, you know, equivalent out of the out of the box anyway and and a lot of people won't even touch that for battery life reasons so i don't have any issue with the with the resolution here and all the other colors viewing angles everything like that is good i'm interested to see you know get some sunlight because uh, uh on this thing because the weather was really not great in new york while we were there uh that's been the one shortcoming of of one plus's amoled or uh i guess what do they call it? Optic AMOLED panels is that they, they haven't had fantastic uh, daylight visibility. Yeah. I, I guess this is like last year's Samsung panel every year. Right. OnePlus probably just gets a deal on this, on, on whatever Samsung put in its phones the year before. And in this case we've, you know, OLED displays have improved enough in quality that you really can't tell Samsung got, you know, the galaxy S eight, the note eight, those panels are so good, but if you recall, the S7 and S7 Edge had phenomenal OLED panels, and so did the S6 for that matter. Yeah. And even if you go back to the S5, you're seeing very good, um, you know, color reproduction. It was still not perfect. I mean, it crushed blacks. It was the viewing angles weren't awesome. Brightness wasn't terrific but you really have to go all the way back to the s4 to see a, a samsung panel that had a lot of fundamental issues i, I think you can you could easily say that the 5t screen is just right on par with the average flagship phone which is way above its its price grade that's kind of you know what oneplus does yeah yeah, and given the the amount of scrutiny that the LG made Pixel Two XL panel has been receiving, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
OnePlus comes off really well here. Let's talk a bit about, you know, you talked about it, you, you don't have to hold it so far from your face or you, you hold it a bit further from your face. Let's talk about the face unlock feature. Hayato, um, you have been using the OnePlus 5 front-facing fingerprint sensor. That gets moved to the back with the uh, 5T. What is your impression of the decision to to do that and to add this really I, I like shockingly fast face unlock uh, option. Uh, you know, I mean, as a as a big fan of the pixels and the V30 and just phones that have the fingerprint sensor on the back, I really like that, um, especially just because it opens up, uh, you know, room for a two by one display. But uh, the face unlock, I feel like, it, you know, it, it's super fast, but it's also not exactly as secure as a fingerprint sensor. Uh, obviously, OnePlus recognized that, which is why you can't use the face unlock to um, to get into secure apps, like I would assume your bank account apps or or um, you know things like that. But um, you know, it seems pretty convenient as far as unlocking your phone. We tried to uh, for pretty much the first thing we did when I got there um, was try to trick Andrew's OnePlus Five T with a photo that I just took of him. So didn't work that way. So it's good enough, I would say. I mean, most people aren't going to be trying to trick your, you know, trick your phone to get into it with you sitting right there. So oh, they might, they might, <laughs> but it won't work. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's interesting. Um, this is by far the best Android based face unlock feature. It's I've, not I've even seen. close. And it's, it's interesting because Samsung and LG have, independently claim that their options are a good compromise between secure and fast. But here we go with a company like OnePlus. Clearly, um, you know, this is not a feature that it's poured millions of dollars of R&D into like Apple has with Face ID and presumably Samsung has with its iris scanner. This, I believe, is a turnkey solution built from Qualcomm's Snapdragon platform um, that just uses a hundred points of um, you know comparison on your face. So the basically the length between or the distance between your eyes and your nose, your nose and your mouth, your mouth and your eyes, it it forms not a picture. It doesn't store a picture. It just stores those distances as a mathematical equation, and then checks the that the those data points. Um, between uh, for sorry, I'm trying to talk today and I'm having trouble. <laughs> it checks those data points against what it's seeing in the front-facing camera. And it's, yeah, and it's it. just just using the camera, no special sensors. It's not even right. uh, it's not even using you know an extra IR um, kind of floodlight type of thing because a standard so. Both Daniel and I have been using the phone. I've kept face unlock um, on, and I'm, I'm sure you have as well. And it actually works surprisingly well, even in all but completely dark situations. Because even though it doesn't have like an infrared floodlight type of situation um, or, or a beam just to light up your eyes or anything like that, like you have on a Samsung phone, a standard you know camera, even a little tiny one that you put in the front facing camera of a phone 
can see a pretty wide range of the IR spectrum anyway. So it can really see, quote unquote, <laughs> see a lot more than your eyes uh, can immediately see when you think about, you know, if you were trying to identify somebody, uh, you know, fine points on somebody's face in a dark room. So it actually ends up working extremely well, even though there's no specific hardware here. This is the same front facing camera as the OnePlus 5. And I think the the big thing that makes this face unlock so so ridiculously good is the speed. It doesn't, yeah. and, and just the way that it's integrated into the unlocking method. So once you set up your face with it, as soon as you press the power button or double tap the screen to turn on the screen, it just unlocks. It it seems to be scanning or ready to scan just the absolute moment that it sees anything in your face. Um, you can you can have the screen turned on on a table and as soon as you get it you know halfway up to your face to where you would actually want to look at the phone it's already unlocked and bypassed the lock screen it's kind of ridiculous how fast it is and yes we know it's not as secure as a fingerprint you can still have your fingerprint turned on there um it, that that doesn't really matter to me um in most situations sure when i'm traveling or something like that and i have a higher probability that my phone is going to be separated from me i'm going to want that extra level of security of not having face on unlock turned on and you can just go toggle it off in the settings but for my average day uh where i just want to be able to pick up the phone look at it and have it unlock eh, i i think i would go with this it's just so much faster than you know even putting your finger on the fingerprint sensor it's crazy yeah, I mean it's it's so fast that it was almost hard to show in video, just because it's, it's <laughs> we just were trying instantaneous to film this for the no, video. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's no uh, there's no screen of it like you know showing itself trying to to scan your face or anything. It's literally just you turn on the screen and it's already unlocked. And uh, understanding its its users that really like to manage notifications from the lock screen, you can make it so it only starts scanning your face as soon as you swipe up on the screen. Uh, after the you know the lock screen, but that's not on by default, and you understand why when you see how fast this thing unlocks. Uh, I have no problem just completely blowing by the lock screen. I don't want to do an extra swipe or anything like that. When the whole idea of this is that the phone just you know just unlocks. Here's the thing about um, unlocking your phone in general or, or authenticating your phone. It's it's always a compromise between speed and security. And this goes all the way back to the the first fingerprint sensors, right? The the fingerprint sensor on the um on the 2011 Motorola uh Atrix. Atrix, thank you. I was like I was going to say Axon, but that's not the <laughs> right one. That one you swiped down to to unlock and it was finicky. But that was the company building the technology that would eventually go into touch id apple bought that company and fingerprint sensors stalled in android phones until you know 2014 or so uh the 2013 galaxy s5 am i right about that or is yeah. that 2014 uh, uh 14 s5 note 24 20, yeah okay so the 2014 galaxy s5 note 4 sorry no the note f- yeah that you had to swipe down 
Yep. So you still couldn't put your finger on it. And then the following year, almost every Android phone had a really fast, really good touch fingerprint sensor. You didn't have to swipe or anything. Um, and that's kind of the way things have been. Starting with Marshmallow, Google adds a, a real off biometric um, you know, fingerprint sensor API that allows your banking app, 1Password, LastPass, to actually use those hooks to unlock your phone properly. What by OnePlus saying, hey, we didn't think this was secure enough that your banking app could use it, that's not really true. I mean, let's be <laughs> honest. It's they an just API don't have problem. hooks in there's there is no face unlock API like there is on the iPhone. So you just can't do that yet. You could build your own, OnePlus could do that, and they could beg developers to implement it, but that's not gonna happen, not until Google does it. You know, even Samsung had a really big problem in the early years of um, the S5 and the S6 to get developers on board until phones started shipping with Marshmallow that just didn't happen. But now they have the same the same problem because they have iris scanning, which they they do say is secure enough to use with uh, banking apps. They use it with Samsung Pay, for example, but they're still back to square one of convincing developers to integrate with Samsung's authentication API. Now, yeah. Samsung does the right thing by, you know, letting both, you know, apps, you know, in this transition period, um, back with that, you know, S5 to S6, they let uh, any app, you know, can integrate with both. So if you, you know, rely on the default Marshmallow one, fine. If you rely on theirs, that's fine too. But OnePlus was never going to be able to get enough people on board for it. I'm sure that OnePlus would love to have said, and we have this many apps that will let you log in with your face, but we know that that's just, that's not smart from anybody's perspective, even a company as big as Samsung. We need, you know, this was one of the benefits of of seeing Apple roll out Face ID was you can see just how awesome it is when Apple controls that API and all of a sudden it goes from being Touch ID only to Touch ID or, or Face ID Every single app that uses Touch ID can now just use Face ID. We would hope that Google would do something similar. The problem is that you know they would have to set some kind of minimum security standards, and that's really hard to, you know, I guess you just make it part of the the Google Mobile Services certification or something. But it really seems like that would be quite a logjam for manufacturers. And it's unlikely that Google will build a face unlock API until it, it until the pixel line actually has something like that. Um, and, and then here's the other thing too, do you need it? Um, you know, I argued in my iPhone 10 review that if you can't do it right as like Samsung, in my opinion, has not done it right. It has not done a good enough job making either iris scanning or face unlock reliable enough in every lighting situation to really push this technology. And I will argue that other manufacturers should just not do that until they have a reliable solution. Yeah. OnePlus, ironically, <laughs> has a very reliable solution here. It, I would argue that it's just as fast and reliable as the fingerprint sensor. But the fingerprint sensor is on the back in the perfect position. So OnePlus has kind of leapfrogged everybody else in the industry 
And it um, doesn't even need by, it. And it didn't even need it. It's it just like it was a nice to have. So it's like an, it's like Samsung's a tryhard that's doing everything it can to do to fill, you know, every desire or fulfill every desire of its user base. But in reality, all it needed to do was just put a fingerprint sensor in a place that didn't suck. Yeah, I and just I can't. I, I just really hope that they make that change next year. But uh, still disappointed. Totally. Um, anyway, let's, let's talk a little bit about the phone as it pertains to like the, the 3T. So the three and 3T are still good phones. They're on Oreo track right now. They're going to be upgraded to Oreo before the five and 5T. Um, if you bought a three or 3T, Andrew, should you upgrade? Is this something that, you know, you should spend your $500 on when it goes on sale next week? This is. This is one where I went into discussing this uh, a little bit with you, but just kind of as I wrote my article about this, thinking that the 5T was just going to be like, it's the more modern phone. It's, you know, a year or a year and a half newer. Of course, it's better. Well, yes, it's it's better. But the way that OnePlus does things and it does this iterative effort where at this point, every six months, it just gets a little bit better, even the you know, the, the off years where it makes the big jump, you know, from the, from the two to the three or the three T to the five, those things don't make a huge difference in actual usability of the phone. When you look at the display and the overall layout of the phone, and of course the software, things like dash charge, battery life, you know, most of the specs in the phones, they're still shared even between the OnePlus 3 and the OnePlus 5T. It's mostly the same. It's probably 85 or 90% the exact same experience. So, and as the phones have, of course, received little price bumps with each, uh, each successive iteration, it's kind of hard to say that you're, you know, yes, you are getting XYZ and that makes it worth it. Uh, the only thing that's really helping this is that for all of the the price bumps, this still isn't ex- isn't an expensive expensive phone. You're still talking about five hundred dollars. So, if you've held your OnePlus three for well over a year, maybe up to eighteen months now, you feel like you've probably got good money out of it. And as I was looking around, the OnePlus three and three T have really good resale value. You go on Swap, a, a OnePlus 3 is still worth nearly $250. A 3T is worth about $300 plus. So you're not going to lose a bunch of money uh, making the switch either. So just realize that the 5T isn't some kind of massive change. You, you get the larger screen. Uh, you get a little more of a sleek body and you could easily argue it's it's more modern and it looks cooler. And you get this dual camera that gives you portrait mode and arguably could do some different things in low light. But I think it really just shows the fundamentals of the 3 and especially the 3T with its larger battery capacity and Snapdragon 821. Like those are still really good phones. Those things were so overbuilt for last year that they're still really good this year. And because OnePlus doesn't throw out, you know, everything and start fresh every year, you don't have to worry about, you know, missing out on much. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with that. I 
yeah, I want to go back a little bit and and Hiato, um, to chime in here because I'm I'm interested in in this idea that you know put aside the fact that OnePlus is a subsidiary slash startup within Oppo, like pretend that it is just a really you know really enthusiastic hardware startup in the vein of essential just a few years after you know a few years on and with a bit more experience if it does have access to these new technologies and it will be essentially um releasing two phones a year with very minor changes is that a problem because if you see the way that laptops go you know the dell xps 13 today looks identical to the Dell XPS 13 from two years ago. So many laptops do not change their design for years and years. And they're just minor iterations. Intel releases a new chip and the companies get access to it. We're starting to see that a little bit with the with the phone industry. And, and OnePlus is just taking advantage of, of the fact that certain technologies are cheaper. Um, you know, the, the 3 and 3T OnePlus calls the same phone. The 5 and 5T OnePlus calls the same phone, even though they look different. So if we're going with that kind of argument, are we? is it expected that people are going to upgrade to the 5T from even the 3 or 3T? Or are we looking at people just upgrading from the 2? I, From my perspective, I would still say once a year would be a good upgrade cycle. Um, like if I, if I had a 3T, I would probably at least consider the 5T, although, you know, like Andrew said, it, it might not be a necessity. But um, I don't I don't think a six-month release cycle is a bad thing necessarily, as long as that's well communicated, as long as you expect that it's going to be every six months and not just, you know, surprise people. Uh, you know, Sony's been doing it for years now. And as long as you know that, that there's another phone coming in six months with slightly better specs, probably the same, roughly the same design, I don't see it as an issue. I mean, it just means, you know, newer customers get newer specs. I think the Sony comparison is very, is very apt because the difference with Sony is that they try to make it sound like it's a new phone and they kind of just change things for the sake of changing them to have a new model. Whereas OnePlus is very honest about what it's doing. They don't make a ton of changes and the things that they do change are typically additions rather than, you know, swaps. Yeah. Obviously something like the camera, they have to get rid of the one lens to put in a different lens. But when you look at a, you know, a larger screen, you know, they put in the larger screen, but they didn't get rid of the fingerprint sensor. You know, things like that are, are, are good additions that I think anybody would be happy about, but you make the great point that it has to be communicated and kind of understood. And uh, I think they un- OnePlus understands that by releasing a phone every six months, they do hurt their own sales in that period leading up to the release. And that period is much larger as a percentage of the phone's life cycle uh, than if you're releasing every year. But they seem to think that this, this group of people that buy OnePlus phones care more about having the latest and greatest thing than that. Yeah, and that that doesn't surprise me because um, you're getting a bit more for your money. It's now four ninety nine rather than four seventy nine. 
But depending on where you are in the upgrade cycle, like as you said, the, the resale value of a OnePlus phone is pretty good. So you can get $200, $250 for a OnePlus 3 and subsidize your OnePlus 5T. Um, or if you know if your phone dies tomorrow, like that's another that's another really interesting um, you know thing is that if you just need a phone, a OnePlus device is really affordable compared to having to replace a Galaxy S8 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So this is not a cheap phone if you're comparing it to like a Moto G5 or G5 Plus. But if you're trying to replace a flagship, it's much more accessible. And as the company's shown, there are people willing to buy their phones every every year. So, um, and other you know, otherwise they wouldn't have put on a splashy launch event in New York. Like this is a company on the up, not one that's trying to hedge against the growing, uh, against increasing component prices. Absolutely. All right. So, is there anything else you want to talk about the OnePlus Five T, or should we wait until next week when uh, we have a few more thoughts? formed in our brains and we're less sleep deprived well yeah it's hard to get more sleep deprived but i i think that the important thing to to note here is that of course oneplus is going to hype the 5t they're going to hype every single phone they release this one you know don't be surprised if it doesn't blow your socks off this is a slightly 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 refreshed oneplus 5 you already know so much about this phone that it's, you know, it's going to seem a little underwhelming, but that, you know, just in comparison to the fact that we already had the five, which I'm going to ask everyone, you know, at the, in my review of the 5T, that go read the OnePlus 5 review, see everything that it does great, and it just doesn't lose anything in going to the 5T. So if you're feeling a little underwhelmed about it, just, you know, I think we have to put that into perspective. This isn't like, Samsung releasing the Galaxy S6 earlier in the year, and then the Galaxy S7 six months later, and then the Galaxy S8 six months after that. It, you know, it's it's a little more iterative than that. Totally. And also, you know, before we move on, like all of these phones essentially run the same software with only slightly, you know, slight moderations. Yeah. And yeah. Oxygen OS is really well received. I like it. So... Everybody seems to like it. I am a little miffed that my OnePlus 5 isn't going to get the face unlock, but I'll have to make do for now. Oh, well, you can uh, sideload some APK in a couple of days. I'm sure that will give it to you. <laughs> very, very secure that way. <laughs> if that's if that's what you really want. Um, all right. So we're going to we're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we when we come back, we're going to talk about some other devices, the Razer phone iPhone 10, Google Pixel Buds. Uh, but first, let's let's thank our sponsor, Thrifter, this week. Um, you know, we had Dan De Silva on from Thrifter last week, and uh, you know, it was it was a longer segment, and I appreciate people sticking with us. Um, but really, like, we're getting close to that time of year where you, if you haven't bought gifts yet, you are going to want to get on that now. And if you haven't started looking at Black Friday deals, you are late. To be honest, um, we have. Uh, we had an amazing deal on the Ring Doorbell Pro for $100 uh, that if you haven't signed up for yet, you, you should do that. But, you know, Thrifter is the place to go for all of your great deals, tech or otherwise. And as we do every week, we're going to go around, we're going to 
focus on one deal each and, uh, and, 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 and sort of highlight why you should buy them uh, for that price. So, Andrew, what is your deal this week that uh, strikes your fancy? So I've been looking through the, I guess, all these companies, they pre-announce all their Black Friday stuff now, which is interesting. And some of them just start their Black Friday deals already, even though we're over a week away. But anyway, um, Bose has their last generation QC25 uh, noise canceling, you know, over ear headphones on sale for 179 which is a, just a great deal if you're not somebody like me that's on a plane every other week and has the $350 QC35s the 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 25s still a great pair of headphones uh they're not wireless that's you know that's the one downside but they're going for half the price at 179 than the brand new models. I mean, 179 is something that, as we'll talk about with the Pixel Buds, apparently some people will pay for headphones, uh, but a lot of people will not pay 350. So, and it's already live. That that deal is already live. You don't even have to wait uh, for Black Friday. And just to be clear, the noise cancellation in the 25s are about on par with the 35s. Yeah, it, it really is a difference in. Uh, the 35s just have a little more padding. They're a little bit bigger and they have wireless. That's that's really it. So the 25s, if you don't need wireless, are actually uh, uh, quite a bit lighter because they don't have such a huge battery. Right. Yeah, I've been I've been going between headphones for the last few weeks trying We've to figure out which ones to buy. Oh, it's a hard decision. Um, but, but you're going to make well, the yeah, right decision it. and get the Sonys, right? Uh, yeah, well, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, Hayato, what's, what's your pick for, uh, for your deal of the week? Uh, so I really like smart home things and they've got this, um, this Ecobee four, uh, smart thermostat. That's kind of the direct competitor to the Nest thermostats. And that's usually 250. They've got it, uh, for about 200 right now. And, um, I like that a lot just because it's, it's Alexa enabled. So you can just tell your, your, um, your Alexa device to, you know, adjust the temperature from, you know, from the couch or from wherever, uh, or even if you're not at home and, uh, 200 bucks is a pretty good deal. That's cheaper than almost, uh, anything that Nest has to offer. Except for the thermostat E or the Nest thermostat E, which I have, and I also highly recommend. Um, but Ecobee four is, is kind of the flagship product for Ecobee. Um, I'm biased. I love Ecobee because they're Toronto based. They're a really great small company um they work with home kit smart things if this then that uh, and obviously amazon and google assistant even though amazon on its website does not point that out anywhere because they considered google assistant to be a direct competitor but it will work with the with the assistant so yeah and and i think the one really cool thing about ecobee is that they have these these um room sensors so mm-hmm. you don't just get a single point of of reference for your thermostat temperature it you can actually buy three or four of these sensors and put them in all of your rooms and the thermostat will then work out the ambient temperature throughout your house uh which you know as somebody with a very tall house that has um differences of about five or six degrees between the main floor and the and the upstairs i think that is a very useful feature yeah that's very cool uh well i'll go last 
And I will point out another pair of headphones that will be more to Hayato's liking. Um, these are the first generation Sony, uh, what are they? The um, WRX, what is it? Oh my goodness. Sony's had them first generation is brand, the MDR-1000X. There you go. For $228. I just wasn't scrolling down far enough. Um, so this, these are the first generation Sony kind of noise canceling wireless headphones that caused quite a stir. Um, our, our own uh, Mr. Mobile, Michael Fisher, reviewed them and loved them, even though they don't look quite as good as the Bose. There they are, MDR-1000X. Um, they're down to $228 on Amazon right now, um, l- probably because there's a second generation model with slightly better noise cancellation, slightly better sound and um, you know a little bit improved battery life. But the first gen model is fantastic and it's $120 less than the WH-1000XM2, which is a strangely different model number from the first gen, but whatever. Uh, I listened to your second gen version over uh, the last couple of days, Hayato. I love them. I think the noise cancellation is is on par, if not better than, on par with, if not better than the Bose. Um, and I just love the sound. I think they're amazing. So highly, highly recommended. They've gotten me through plenty of flights recently, and I, I, I love them to death. So cool. Anyway. $228 on Amazon right now. If you're interested in any of these awesome deals, check out thrifter.com for full coverage of Black Friday and beyond. And if you want to get all of these deals in your inbox every morning, sign up for the daily newsletter. That's thrifter.com. And we thank them so much for sponsoring the AC podcast. All right. So let's, let's talk a little bit about some other devices that got uh, reviewed this week. Um, the Razer phone has been quite divisive uh, yeah. throughout the community. Our, our Alex Doby did not like it uh, very much. He, he says that the screen is really dim, can't use it outside, and the cameras are kind of a hot mess. I don't really have anything to add to that because I haven't used the phone, but Hayato... Um, would this phone be interesting to a millennial like yourself? <laughs> Maybe uh, well, I'm just not the target demographic for a partic- for this particular device. I think it's a very good looking phone, um, and it's it's you know definitely powerful. But I, you know, for seven hundred dollars, I would not buy one of these. It's uh, seven hundred bucks. You can get a much better camera, much better display out of pretty much any other phone. And the fact that it doesn't have water resistance is kind of kind of a almost a deal breaker for me, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty big and, and, uh, I don't like that. It's got all these sharp corners everywhere. It's it, even with the next bit Robin, that was, I believe smaller than this. Uh, I never found that phone comfortable to hold. So this one, uh, I wouldn't buy even if it weren't for its various problems that Alex detailed. Yeah. Andrew, what's your take now that the phone's been reviewed? Yeah, it's, it aligns with my uh, my initial take on it when I used it. Um, it's it's overpriced. I don't think it's a bad product if the if the price was right. I mean, we we look at a OnePlus Five T and we're talking about, eh, well, they raised the price two hundred dollars to four ninety nine. This thing is retailing for six ninety nine, and I don't think it's an appreciably better overall package than the Five T. 
that the 5T has a whole lot better, um, you know, more thought out software experience. The hardware is more, you know, ergonomic. Uh, of course, it doesn't have crazy things like the 120 hertz display, but it has a headphone jack and uh, a camera that's that's solid rather than, you know, straight up disappointing. So it's it's kind of one of those things where this is kind of the thing you'd expect from Razer making their first phone. I mean, for the, of course, they brought over the Nextbit uh, team that has experience in this. But you remember that was only their first phone as well, and the Robin wasn't exactly a uh, a killer in the market. So I don't expect Razer to just give up on this. They they did a lot of the basics, but I think when you look at today's smartphone market, they're they're basically making a phone for like 2013 or 2014 smartphone market. Uh, and charging top dollar for it. And just, it, you mentioned Motorola phones being kind of the the step below these one, the OnePlus 5 or something like that, being $150 less or whatever. That's the price level where you expect things to be not great or missing features or, you know, something like that. You don't expect that at $700 anymore. Uh, there are other phones that do it all. For the most, you know, for the most part, you can quibble about the specifics, but they really do do it all and don't have any huge shortcomings. You really can't release a phone in 2017 that costs seven hundred dollars and is missing out like like that. Yeah, I got nothing else to add. It's huge. Yeah. The speakers look great. Massive battery. Or I'm sure this. The, I'm sure they sound great too. Um, I love the fact that the fingerprint sensor is on the right side. I, I love this about the Sony phones. Sorry, Americans. Actually, this is the only <laughs> phone you can buy in America with a right size, right side fingerprint sensor. The, huh. Well, the next bit Robin at the time, but yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and I don't know. I, I'm sad about this. I think the 120 hertz screen, the idea of it is great. I, I know that Razer is actively working with companies to optimize their games and I hope that they do. If they can sort out some of the camera problems, I wouldn't mind using this because I don't need to use my phone in the direct sun all the time. I mean, I haven't seen it. So if it's as bad as Alex says and it's completely unusable in daylight, like at all, then that's a huge deal breaker. Um, but I don't know. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt here. So I think the best thing to, to say about something like the screen um, Alex uses just as many phones as any of us. Uh, he used phones like the OnePlus 5, the LG G6, you know, phones that have just kind of average displays in terms of outdoor visibility. And he slots this comfortably below those. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have no reason to yeah. doubt him. And I will give him the benefit of the doubt because, shoot, like, yeah, that's, that's really sad. Mm-hmm. So... All right. Well, I guess we'll just wait and see because this phone goes on sale now. Like it's not available yet. People can't buy one. So where um, they ha- they can buy one, but it's not shipping until later in the month. Hopefully they can sort out some of these issues. Yeah. I, I wonder I wonder how strong the love for the Razer brand is and how much that can make up for shortcomings in, in the device. Yeah, I hope so. I really want this phone to be successful. I don't know why. I just, I do. Um, so another phone that I've been using 
and I expect this to be a little bit more controversial, is the iPhone 10. Oh, um, man, I thought I, you were talking about the Axon M. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll talk about that <laughs> next week because I haven't really formed my opinion on that yet. No, the iPhone 10 is what it is, right? I don't need to talk too much about it. I I think it's the best iPhone Apple's ever made, and Android manufacturers could learn a lot from it. And that was my hypothesis. Uh, that was my 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 argument in the in the review is that I think I, iOS and Android are getting more and more similar every year, and each platform does a few things better than the other. Um, and there are still areas where Android is far ahead of iOS, especially notifications and and obviously customization, flexibility, things like that. Um, but using the iPhone, it 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 really just it, it just brings home the fact that it's just so much smoother to use an iPhone, in my opinion, than than most Android phones. And and the Pixel and the OnePlus Five T they come close, but. I still think the iPhone is way ahead here. And um, it just, it, it re- reinforces the fact that Google still needs to work on some of these issues and, and they're doing it every year. So I think we're getting closer, but there's still a long way to go in my opinion. And it's, it's worth reading. I mean, I know that you got, you got some, some heat uh, from people about publishing that review on Android Central, but if they actually go look at it critically, you you take the the proper stance of seeing, you know, here are the things that I enjoy, but I would enjoy them just as much if they were implemented properly on Android, uh, an Android phone. And I don't think that there's much controversy to be had there. I I agree. I I find it absurd that people even today are claim that you you have to be completely affiliated with one side or the other um or that you have like loving android precludes the possibility of loving ios or the iphone which is it's it's stupid i think that is a stupid stance to take um i i understand why there are so after you know spending time with android as an ecosystem and with google services and with, you know, Samsung fans and OnePlus fans, like, like Hiato and I, we went to interview a bunch of the OnePlus fans last yesterday at the event. And there are just people who are super devoted to the brand, to the community, to everything. I love that. I think it's, it's, it's incredible. But, you know, I've been to Apple events and there's that same level of enthusiasm. And to think that, you know, it, it's dumb for Apple fans to be really hyped about a new iPhone and line up overnight to get one. And yet it's it's super awesome that OnePlus fans do the same thing. I don't think that's fair. I mean, it's it's just two two sides of the same coin. It's just a different community loving a different brand's or a different company's products. Um, you could argue that you know there's the cult of Apple, and that's absolutely true. But to be to be completely honest, OnePlus is trying to build that exact same cult within Android. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And taking it's some digs a, at Apple in the process, which is funny. For sure, <laughs> and and the, as they should, because in many ways, there like some things Apple does is they they do some ridiculous things. But the iPhone 10 as a product 
is fully formed. And the fear around losing the home button, that's over, you know, overwrought. I think that um, Face ID does a great job as an alternative. So yeah, read the review. I won't really go, you know, more into it. If you want to message me about it, I'm happy to talk to you on Twitter as long as it's productive. Do at you him. Know, yeah, at, seriously. Like, I'm, I'm really, honestly, I love talking about this stuff because one of my arguments in the, in the piece is that Google services on the iPhone can make the iPhone into an amazing Google phone. Like, that is something that Google's done a really good job with. If you love Google services, but you don't love Android, that is an alternative for you. So I think my... The- I know. I, I haven't spent a ton of time with the, the iPhone 10 my, myself. I actually would love to spend more time with one. But the interesting thing for me, when you talk about how you, like, you don't understand how there could still be this like side versus side vitriol at this point, I, I still don't quite understand like among the people who actually care about this stuff enough to argue about it, how many people are actually considering switching between you know, on a regular basis between the latest iPhone and the latest hot Android phone. I mean, yes, there are normal people that really do make that transition one way or the other. Every couple of years or few years, they will change platforms maybe uh, and have done it, you know, once or twice at this point, you know, <laughs> these phones haven't been in this battle for that long, but of the people who are on Android central or in the technology, the watching sphere on Twitter, how many of these people are really actually considering switching between the two? It seems like it's such a small group of, of potential people that would actually do that rather than just argue about it. And yet they love to argue about it. True. Yeah. I, I don't know. I would, I would, I think it'll, it would be more productive to have somebody like Serenity Caldwell from iMore on the podcast who lives in the iOS ecosystem and and loves it and also does so much of her life outside of the tech world like she's she's like a professional uh roller derby player uh fighter i don't know is, are you're they saying, fighters are they? i think you're a player but um <laughs> it, it, I, she's phenomenal you're saying anyway, she has with, a real life unlike many of us unlike us and and you know these are like when when you go to one of when you go we were in New York yesterday and you see just this this like enormous mix of people and you just wonder like how many of them ever think about it like it once once you're an iPhone user you you probably just are going to buy another iPhone and generally people who are Android users upgrade uh to another Android phone but every year Tim Cook and his you know quarterly earnings results say there is a record number of Android users switching to iPhone and that actually that actually like plays out in in the latest stats um the the iphone market share is increasing in the u.s um whereas android market share is increasing everywhere else so it's interesting seeing how the you know where where the market is finding equilibrium um another interesting stat is that zte is the fourth largest oem in the u.s according to strategy analytics this past quarter because ZTE makes all these cheap phones for like who's, cricket and boost. Who's number three? It's because everybody's pre-ordering the Axon M, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely what's happening. But the, the funny thing there is that 
with the the extremely cheap low margin you know barely making you know any money per unit on you know these low end zte phones each axon m they sell is probably making up for dozens of sales of other devices you know they're only <laughs> going to sell like 14 of them but it's going to make up for you know a thousand cheap zte phones a hundred percent yeah if you can't make a profit on a like a huge profit on a per phone basis you make it up in volume that's the only way to do it um okay so f- let's let's end today so bef- before we go um we have one last sponsor to thank and i and i you know i i always get this at the end and then i rush it and i and i don't do it justice because it deserves better um our final sponsor is game stash and this is a new service um, that allows you to sign up for a monthly subscription to play full paid games, Android games. And it's, it's so good. Like if, if you go to the, if you go to the site, if you go to gamestash.com, there are over 300 games for adults and kids, but every week they're adding new games and there are just a ton of great options out there. And you'll definitely find something for you. It's $4.99 a month. And none of the games have in-app purchases. So anything that did have in-app purchases, they've been reworked so that you you no longer need to buy them. They're just you can grind or use or play the game to to get the product to get the uh the, the you know whatever gems the, the or, or other currency in the game. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and there's some fantastic options from Badland to Evil Land to King of Thieves. Um, Asken 2 is a great puzzle game. There's Cut the Rope if you want to play something a bit more casual. Subway Surfers, Worms, so many great games. And if you're interested in trying, there's a two-week trial. All you need to do is go to gamestash.com slash acpod. That's gamestash.com slash acpod. And you can sign up for a two-week trial see how you like it and hopefully 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 you uh you stay with it because i think it's great all right so last thing we'll talk about are the pixel buds oh yeah Uh, andrew you wrote about you wrote about them i'm tired of hearing myself talk so um why don't you tell us about your experience with google's latest Bluetooth, or first Bluetooth headphones. So the the interesting thing about this is that uh, because we're podcasting early in the morning uh, on on the Pacific uh, side of the the states here, uh, I'm wearing sweatpants, and these have almost the exact same fabric as the sweatpants I'm wearing, uh, and I just <laughs> recognize this right now, and it's quite amazing. Uh, so that's that's the defining feature of these things when you take them out of the box. Is Google still doing this? love it or hate it fabric thing and it's in stark extremely stark contrast to the airpods which i know daniel has a pair um so many people are talking about the airpods they have this very apple solid hard plastic white case and google's just like and we're not going to do that so this hinged up pod of rubber and fabric is super cool but it's just it shows where Google's thought process is. They're thinking about how it looks, which isn't necessarily always something that Google does. They're thinking about how it looks and not the function. The, making this thing out of fabric when it has to 
be in your, you know, with you all the time because it's how you keep the the Pixel Buds detached from your phone and charging up so that you can use them. And it's made out of this flimsy fabric. And then you open it up and you take out these Pixel Buds and they have a cord between them that's like this fabric kind of style. And you put them in your ear and you're like, they're extremely comfortable, but they don't have a lot of the noise isolation that you would necessarily want. And they have other kind of hardware issues. So the it's it's kind of, it seems extremely over-engineered. And now you kind of start to understand why they're $160. Uh, they're not just Bluetooth earbuds. Google's trying to do a whole lot more with these Pixel Buds. You know, you've, you saw the demo with the instant translation. They have Google Assistant built in. Uh, of course, links to your phone for Assistant. Uh, they have touch controls. And they're supposed to kind of be this next-level smart earbuds, not just plain old earbuds. And the the my biggest problem with them, um, you'll notice I haven't said anything good about them yet. I'll get to that later. But uh, it's actually not the defining feature of these things. Um is that they don't quite live up to being these amazing futuristic headphones. I think that that's the, the biggest problem with them. Um, I need, I still need to try out the, the translation more. I've seen it used a couple times and it works about as um, awkwardly as you expect Google Translate talking into your phone would, would be. But functionally, from the things you're more likely to use, Excuse me. Google Assistant is good, but it still has issues of not knowing exactly what to do, giving you the right information back. Um, Dealing with audio prompts for things like notifications and Google Assistant is kind of awkward. Uh, We're got past this on the phone where now you can type to the phone and get things back without audio. And it it just makes sense. And a lot of times it doesn't translate well to the earbuds. And so you you see these advanced features not really be killer reasons to buy these. And it really overshadows the fact that the, the baseline experience, if these were $80 earbuds, uh, perhaps, and you just use them as earbuds, they would be really, really nice. Uh, the battery life is good. The comfort and sound are absolutely great. So long as you don't need, you know, in-ear kind of, you know, passive noise isolation. And the the pairing process with a Pixel phone is fantastic. When you open the case, it just sees it on your phone. Tap one thing, you pair. You know, those basic things, Google got all that right. But you can't charge $160 for headphones and get all of the other stuff so kind of awkwardly not right i i think that that's that's basically the issue with these things especially when i mean daniel knows you know you the the airpods have issues as well but they work really well people are happy with them and they work on on android phones really well i've seen so many people with airpods uh while we were in new york i i didn't realize they were kind of as ubiquitous as they seem to be now Right. Yeah, I so the one thing I'll say to that is like the AirPods don't sound great. They kind of move in my ears a little bit, but they're really convenient and they're more convenient than any other headphones that I own, which makes them which makes me more likely to grab it 
while I'm taking the dog for a walk or, you know, if I'm even if I'm in, like on a plane yesterday, just this this the ease at which I can pull them out of my pocket and open them up uh, knowing that they're fully charged is is really great. And what I, I like about the AirPods is that they are literally pocketable. I can put them in my pocket and forget about them. I have the Jaybird Run, you know, solo headphones. Mm-hmm. I've tried uh, the Axon, the Axon, the uh, Icon X, and Samsung. Uh, from Samsung, and there are a couple others as well. And the the cases themselves are really big, which precludes them from being pocketable. And I think the the AirPods' biggest convenience, the biggest advantage, is that they are literally pocketable. Um, and for me, at least, that's really important. Yeah, the, but I, I would just I'll just stop you there one one moment so I don't forget my point about this case is it looks really cool. It feels nice. But again, it's not practical in the same way. It's probably 30, 40 percent larger than the AirPods case. And I understand that it doesn't or it has a it has a big battery in it. So it'll charge these like four or five times um, rather than I think what the AirPods case gives you another, what another full charge, maybe two full charges. Uh, Yeah, I think two. So you get a lot more battery out of this thing, but I'm not going to listen to my air AirPods. Jeez. I'm not going to listen to my pixel buds over the course of multiple days because they only last for four or five hours at a time. Uh, I'm not going to listen to them for tw- 24 hours of battery life without having got the case to a charger somewhere. Uh, so, yeah, and-, and and they have all this extra room inside to kind of compensate for it so that it's a, a symmetrical thing. And it's like, well, but this is too big to fit in my pockets. Right. And as, as much as I like the, the look and feel of the fabric on there, uh, just because, I mean, we, we've had this conversation. I love, pretty much all, all the uh, the aesthetic of, of all the Google products going fabric lately. But I think um, it, it's sort of a different situation with something that you're going to be putting in your bag or if you've got big enough pockets, maybe in and out of your pocket all the time. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that fabric's going to hold up the way that it'll hold up on my Google Home that just kind of stays in one spot all the time. Right. And so that, that just makes you realize how, Im- like, not impractical, but they're just not a practical accessory. And like I was telling you guys, and you were surprised by before that podcast started, you can't pair them to two devices at once and or hot swap between multiple devices. So if you're, I mean, I can't be the only one that has my Bose headphones connected to my phone and my laptop or paired to both the phone and the laptop and switch between the two throughout the day or while I'm on the plane or whatever the, these pixel buds are, I mean, it's right in the name. I get it. It's, it's a pixel device. It is meant to be paired to a pixel phone and that's it. And you are not supposed to, you're really not supposed to use them with anything else or try to reset them and swap them between devices. It is an accessory just for your pixel. And for that, it is a really, really expensive set of second or third, third set of headphones yeah i i also uh find it really interesting that a lot of the criticism 
around the Pixel Buds ignores the fact that they actually sound really good and they sound considerably better than the AirPods and a lot of the other kind of in-ear headphones. Indeed. Uh, wireless headphones. And I just wonder, like, if you're just primarily, if you're not using the translation feature, if you're not using Google Assistant, if you're just using them as portable earbuds, are they worth the the money considering that they do sound considerably much like, much better than the AirPods? I think that if you can get past the case situation of it being kind of big and maybe not holding up over time, the like I said, the core earbuds themselves, taking them out of the box, having them pair with your phone instantly, putting them in, having them be comfortable for the entire five hours that they'll last and sound really good. Yes, like that part, like that percentage, whatever percentage of the $160 you assign to comfort, battery life, and sound quality is worth every penny of that portion. But I don't think that if they didn't have any of these advanced features, they would be worth $160. I mean, of course, everybody has a different amount of money they're willing to spend on headphones. But back when we were talking about uh, Black Friday deals, I don't think that the average person is willing to spend $180 on Bose headphones or 200 something dollars on those Sony headphones. And those are big on-ear capable headphones, not, you know, these pixel buds that you can't use with your computer or use with any other device at the same time. And will for the most part, just sit around. You're not going to use these, you know, sitting at your desk during the day. You know, they're really for kind of, you know, for your train or uh, bike commute or you know going to a coffee shop for a little while or something they're they're very secondary set of headphones and so you have to really be willing to pay extra for that comfort and and quality but i do agree with you that they're getting a bad rap from all of this other negative stuff where the fringe kind of features and advanced features did not live up to the expectations mm-hmm. at all. And I think that that is weighing down on the, the core parts that, that do work. Right. I'm going to keep using them, but, um, and I'll get a, I'll get a full review out there at some point and maybe take it from that perspective. But, uh, I'm not, I'm not particularly uh, tied to them any more than, you know, my nice big Bose headphones that I wear most of the time, um, and use with other devices. Yeah, that is a very good point. All right. I think that's going to be it for today. (laughs) I want to thank everybody if they've come this far for sticking with us through our sleep deprivation. This was probably not our most lively or um, not that it was bad. I I really enjoyed this because I'm so glad that Hayato is on for the first time. But, uh, you know, all I want to say is that sleep is important. And if you don't get eight hours of sleep a night, it's probably a good idea to start trying. <laughs> I'm starting to feel yeah. personally attacked. <laughs> I, I know. I'm sorry. I do. Actually, this is just a this is just a shot across the bow to our new uh, our newest employee. So, subtweet. <laughs> All right, that's it for uh, that's it for us uh, this week, Hayato. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been really fun. Um, we haven't done this in a while, and I and I, we haven't actually had you on before. So, where can people find more about you if they want to learn? 
about what you are and who you are and what you do? Uh, I'm pretty, uh, pretty easy to find as long as you can spell my name right. So uh, Hayato Huseman on pretty much any social network, H-A-Y-A-T-O-H-U-S-E-M-A-N. That sounds like the, the, the Mickey Mouse H A Y A T O H U S E M E N. Get get a jingle. Yeah, you just need a jingle. That's it. Uh, and Andrew, where can people find you? Uh, at me on Twitter, Andrew Martinick. You'll you'll find all kinds of good stuff there. Uh, and we don't do this enough, but I just want to thank Jim, our producer extraordinaire, for helping us out every week. He does an amazing job getting these podcasts produced and 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 up in a timely fashion and dealing with all of our behind-the-scenes BS. So uh, thank you so much, Jim. My name is Daniel Bader. You can find me at all the things on Journey Dan. This is the Android Central Podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya.